Welcome to the What Next podcast, brought to you by me, Carl Considine. What Next exists to share sober stories with the intention of inspiring change for the better. Whether you're sober, sober curious, or just looking for general life inspiration, we're the podcast for you. Our stories are full of heart and always without judgment. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about what life is like when you're sober. And I think that people have a real perception or belief that sober life must be boring. And um, it really isn't. If anything, it's incredible. And um, I've got a really good friend on the show today to talk about that, who has been a massive inspiration for me. And actually, if I think about your life in recovery and um, the way that you've thrown yourself into life not being boring, life's not over when you get sober. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's just so impressive. So welcome to the show, Mary. Hi, thanks, Carl. It's nice to be here. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for coming on. So what I wanted to start with is um, how do we know each other? And I guess like our journey and and how we met, because we've not known each other that long. But I think it's fair to say we've been through a lot together and we know a lot about each other. Yeah, definitely. So we met really on in both our recovery journeys, I guess. Um, When was it? Was it March? March 2021. Yeah. Yeah, So you stopped drinking in January 21. Yeah. I stopped drinking in February 21. And we met on a program called Deep, which is at Phoenix Mill. Um, and it's basically a sort of, uh, community rehab really. Um, I didn't actually know it was rehab until (laughs) I got there. And then, uh, Steve, the guy who's the amazing, uh, counselor there, uh, kept referring to the fact that we were all in rehab and I was like, oh, I didn't quite realize. I just thought it was just something that would sort of help me. I had no idea. Same. I didn't know it was rehab, but it's what I needed. Um. So yeah, basically I ended up there because I um, ended up in a detox. Uh, My drinking got so bad that Mm. um, I needed a medical detox. Um, I was doing a lot of drugs at the time as well. I was in a really, really bad way. Um, And I was just so desperate not to go back to where I was because the place that I was in was just so dark. It was complete hell, um, to be quite honest. Yeah, so we met in uh, rehab and I'm the same as you. Like, I remember going into that process for that treatment. And um, I think if someone would have said to me, it's rehab, I probably wouldn't have done it because of my perception of that. Um, But it's what we needed, right? Yeah. Um, And I think we had, even though we're quite different ages, we had quite different we had similar experiences, sorry, even though we're yeah. quite different ages. Um, so what was drinking like for you? What was life like before we met? So before we met, um, my life was pretty miserable um, before I got sober. Um, I didn't actually want to stop drinking when I stopped. Um, I just came to a point where I was very sick. Um, it was actually lockdown that um, was the catalyst for my it's the start of my sobriety journey, really. Um, so I'll just do a bit of like a background story yeah. from the start. Um, so uh, I've started drinking when I was quite young. Um, 
I was just sort of allowed to drink a little bit with my parents and I just always really liked it. Um, I just thought it was quite a grown up thing to do and I did really like it and I didn't realize why. And a lot of things when you get sober start to make sense and you start to look back at your life and, mm. and everything just starts to make, become, like just becomes a lot more clearer. Mm. So That's um, quite normalized though, isn't it? With kids, like yeah. when you get to a certain age, I think in drinking culture, um, it's fine to like have a little drink yeah. or like have, you know, you get to kind of 14, 15 or whatever and have a, a little glass of wine or maybe a half or whatever. I think yeah. like there's something within our drinking culture in society that yeah. normalizes that stuff. And we almost build ourselves up to, you know, being 18 so we can legally drink. And yeah. Go out so and you don't have slaughtered. to get someone else to buy it for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, my dad used to take me to the pub actually when I was quite young yeah yeah get me a half cider yeah exactly. thought it was completely normal um so yeah but my drinking career as it were started <laughs> off uh when it, properly when I was a teenager um I did all you know all the usual drinking in the park and all that kind of stuff and I I kind of knew from a really young age I have this really vivid memory of being in the shower when I was about 14 or 15 because I used to just get so, I used to get blackout drunk. I used to lose things. I used to do things that I couldn't remember. And every time I got drunk, something bad happened. Mm. And I just had this really innate sense of that there was something wrong with my drinking from, a, from really early on, to be honest. But obviously I just ignored it and carried on for another 15 years. So, mm. um, But yeah, I always kind of knew in the back of, the, of my mind that there was something not quite right. Um, and I didn't know that, you know, what was actually wrong with me. And a lot of people are a bit on the fence about whether you can be born an alcoholic, but I actually believe that I was born an alcoholic. I've never drank like a, a normal, inverted commas. What is a normal person? <laughs> what is a normal person? Um, you know, it, it was just always, I always took it a bit too far. And I always thought that it was something that was wrong with me and that I was a bad person and I did bad things because I was evil and, mm. you know, and it just sort of just really took off from there, really. So I just loved going out drinking. I loved partying and I just thought that was just me. I just mm. thought it was my personality. It was who I was. And in sobriety, I've come to realize that I actually needed alcohol to be able to socialize, really, because now I'm sober I thought I used, I used to be the life and soul of the party and I thought I was really confident and I thought I was really outgoing and I'm actually a really shy person. Yeah. I actually, I'm quite, you know, shy and, and a bit awkward sometimes around people, but that's something that I'm working on now. But I didn't realize that I'm actually a bit of an introvert and I thought I was this massive extrovert and, you know, so drinking really it covers up like who you really are. You don't, and mm. this is the thing in sobriety that I've learned that I didn't really know who I was when I got sober. It, you know, I just thought drinking and going out was, was me and that was it. And, mm. you know, it was quite a scary um, thing when I actually stopped because my thoughts were just like, what am I actually going to do? Because I didn't do anything apart from drink and, mm. and, and use. So, um, yeah, so I'll just go, just sort of uh, digress a little there, but um, no, I'll no, just not go. A, oh, I, I think it's interesting what you say about you not realising that you're an introvert. Mm. 
And I imagine that probably resonates with a lot of people because drinking is a lubricant, right? And we lose our inhibitions and then, you know, it becomes a social lubricant. Everyone has a drink and everyone loses their inhibitions. And you adopt these like more confident characters and personalities. And I bet there are so many people out there that just drink to help with things like social anxiety to give them a bit more confidence in those situations. But it sounds like at the time you didn't even realize that because you actually thought you were a really confident person. Yeah, I did because all through my early teens and, you know, my early adulthood, I just drank every time I went out, every time I did anything really. So I'd never really experienced life sober at all until I was 29 and and nearly 30 when I actually got sober. And, you know, I've been experiencing life in in sobriety and it's like experiencing everything again for the first time um Mm. yeah it's quite profound really (laughs) so So, what did that look like for you then what did you talk about partying and going out quite a lot and yeah yeah how would you describe that stuff what did you get up to so i started going out to um clubs like underground clubs listening to um drum and bass and dubstep and (laughs) you were a cool one you were a trendy one well I tried (laughs) um yeah so I used to go to clubs like that and started taking um MDMA and ketamine and drinking a lot and I just loved it I just loved going out and I just loved music and I loved just loved the whole thing there was a lot of friends that I had that ran nights in um, Nottingham where I'm from um and yeah it was great and I can't say that I don't still enjoy that stuff. I still do, but I just do it without the drugs and the alcohol. Um, and I do love music. Music is a massive passion of mine anyway. Um, but, you know, because it came hand in hand with drinking. And I think it was a, a sort of, a, a, it made me, it was a reason why I didn't realize for such a long time that I had a problem because those two things go so hand in hand that I just thought that I just enjoyed the party inside of it. Yeah. When really it was the, drinking as well um but when I was about 17 or 18 I did start to drink that's when I started drinking every day as well so I'd go out at the weekends but I would also drink in the evenings at home um and there was no no one really told me that I couldn't do that um Mm. you know my my parents were kind of all right with me doing that and and I just thought it was sort of normal to drink every day because my my parents had a drink every night and and I surrounded myself with friends that drank like me and I had boyfriends that drank and used like me. So my entire life until I got sober, I just didn't, I actually thought that everybody drank every day. I genuinely thought that if you didn't drink it in the evenings, like it was weird, you know. It's it's, funny, isn't it? Because it's like you mentioned that the partners that you had drank like you did, the friends that you had drank like you did. And I really identify with that. And I think it's because we seek out those people, mm, yeah. right? It, because it, it normalizes our own behavior yeah. and it means our own behavior is acceptable. Yeah. Like, I always joke that, you know, if I went to a party or if I went to a social event where maybe I didn't know people very well, or if there was a room full of 50 people, it wouldn't take me long to find the person that was 
an excessive drinker or was an excessive drug taker like I was. It, no. It's almost like you're attracted to those people. Yeah. Because you can do what you want to do with, you know, it's like-mindedness, isn't it, right? Yeah, but you do it subconsciously because yeah. like, I didn't go out on a night out and think, I'm going to find the person who's got the most drugs. You just find who's them. Got the, who's got an alcohol problem like me because none of this stuff, it, all this stuff was just totally subconscious and yeah. you don't realize that you're doing it. And, you know, when you stop and you start to look back on all your past behavior, like we did in deep, we had to write that lovely life story and read it out to everyone, didn't yeah. we? So that yeah. was very eye-opening, yeah. looking at all the behavior over the years and, you know, just enabling your other people and people enabling you. And it's just... Yeah, it's just crazy when you look back and you can, with sort of a, a different perspective and you can really look at what, what you've been doing your whole life, really. So, mm. yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, I was drinking every night, um, but not drinking to blackout every night. I was smoking weed as well every day at that point when I was about 17. Um, and I just thought like I was just young and I was just having fun and and it was fine and it never occurred to me that it might not be okay. And then I went to uni when I was about, no, when I was 19. Um, I went to London to do fashion and my dad got diagnosed with um, cancer when I was in my second year or first year. Well, at some point anyway. Um, and then my drinking really, really took off then. Mm. Also, I was in London. I had my student loan. I was surrounded by students, which there's this whole massive drinking culture with students. Like it's totally normal to drink every night if you're a student. So mm. I just sort of blended in with everyone then. It, it didn't look peculiar or off or odd or anything because that's what everyone else was doing. And there is this sort of thing with students as well. There's a lot of, lot of alcoholism going on there with, you know, these like offers they have in bars and mm. it's just it's really encouraged as a student yeah. when you know really you're actually studying for a degree if you, if you think it's like one of the hardest things yeah you know to do and yeah so it really took off then and I became very depressed and I think I was using it then more as a crutch as well if I look back and it just sort of got worse and worse I was um I was going out with someone and I would spend a lot of time in bed so they'd go out to work and I instead of doing my work in the day I was just so depressed that I'd spend a lot of the day in bed and then I'd get up in the evenings and drink and use and because he was out at work he didn't really know what I was doing in the days so I'd be drinking in the day or sleeping and I'd just like pretend that I was doing uni work when I wasn't so I had this I sort of lived in this little bubble where no one really knew what was going on my parents didn't know what was going on because they were a few hundred miles away in mm. Derbyshire and and then when I did go out I'd put on this face you know this facade that we all we all put on when we go out that we're all having a great time but really I was just I was very depressed and miserable and I really struggled with my degree um you know I didn't um really turn up to uni I don't know how I managed to pass it to be honest but I did um <laughs> somehow and then what happened uh I was still in London and my alcoholism was pretty full blown by then. Um, I kind of knew myself that it wasn't right because I'd get drunk and I'd, I'd do some pretty bad shit. But really, the consequences started to get a lot worse yeah, as yeah. they do. Um, and then I ended up, oh yeah, I moved to Rotterdam for six months. Um, I did an internship there and 
I was that was quite scary actually because I would go out I didn't really know a lot of people there I'd get really drunk I'm really lucky that nothing really serious happened to me to be quite honest over the years Mm. because I've put myself in some really dangerous situations with some pretty dangerous people and I've been on my own and Mm. but you have this sort of um this sort of shield when you're drunk you think you're invincible and and you put yourself in these dangerous situations and you don't you don't have any fear of any danger or anything and sometimes I think about some of the stuff I used to get up to and I just think I can't actually believe that that was me and I would do something like that and it's so true isn't it yeah we talked earlier about losing your inhibitions and I think yeah you feel invincible you become this different person and especially if you're drinking to that extent and yeah just put yourself in uh, put ourselves in situations that you wouldn't do if you were sober yeah like safety goes out of the window like care for yourself goes out of the window totally yeah um and it's quite frightening that isn't it to yeah. think about as well the fact that you were a young girl that uh, you know fresh into university you've just moved to london all a new experience right and you just go out into the world putting yourself in these situations mm, yeah really lucky really grateful that nothing really bad happened to me to be honest I mean bad things did happen but I'm still here mm. um but yeah and then I ended up uh, moving to uh, the RT warehouses in Hackneywick um and to be honest I look back on it and it was a shitload of fun I did have a lot of fun and I can't look back on my life and and say that I didn't have a good time because I did have a great time but Mm. there there was a lot of people using and drinking and there was a lot of parties and it just sort of went on and on I was just sort of clinging on there like I didn't want to leave London because I thought if I left London then I'd failed and uh, it just the the environment that I'd put myself in and the place that I was living, it was basically full of people that were very similar to me. Yeah. So again, surrounding yourself with people that, you know, are like you and won't question you. And, you know, it, but even then, I remember good old Steve from Deep saying, um, I told him that someone I was living with actually said to me one night, you need to be careful, Mary, about, you know, about my drinking. And then he said, you know, doesn't that worry you that someone that drinks sim- in a similar way to you is actually saying you need to slow down? And I thought, well, that never even occurred to me, yeah. you know. And um, yeah, I was just, to be honest, I was just a complete mess at that point. I was pissing a lot of people off and sort of overstaying my welcome, to be quite honest. And, you know, I just, yeah, it was hard. And I ended up leaving London um, because I'd run out of money. I'd run out of basically like exhausted all avenues. Um, so I ended up moving to Manchester where my mum had relocated. And I thought that my life was so boring there. I had no friends. I had um, no job. Um, I just sort of left this sort of fun and inverted commas life that I had when really it was just me just being a massive alcoholic and drug addict and just not really getting on with life and I just really felt that life at that point was really passing me by because people my age I could see you know were starting to have kids or get married or do postgraduate degrees or move abroad and and I was just sort of just you know just bobbing along Mm. just you know not really getting anywhere and 
uh, I ended up, well, my plan was to move to Manchester for six months and I ended up staying, I mean, I've been here for six years now. So nice. Yeah. And I actually love Manchester now and it's the place that I got sober and I've got like an amazing life here now. But yeah, so I thought I'd move to Manchester to sort myself out. I'd, it'd only take six months and then I'll go back to London and it would be all right, obviously. Yeah, yeah. That's not what happened. My drinking did get worse. My using did get worse. Um, and it it was just sort of a few, I think it was about four years of just getting jobs, getting fired, getting, you know, getting another job, quitting in a blaze of glory and then having no money and mm. then, you know, moving around different houses and just, I just knew that there was something really wrong with me and I, it was staring me in the face and I just couldn't see what it was and everybody could see what it was. And at that point, my relationships with my family were starting to get quite strained like my siblings and yeah it it just got to a point where I was drinking every night at home and really struggling to even just get up and go to work Hmm. and then I'd be going out at the weekends and getting completely off my face and you know I think it was a stage of sort of pre-contemplation where I kind of knew something was well people were telling me that something's wrong and and I was just sort of ignoring it and then when lockdown happened, I ended up, um, I was living with a guy I was going out with and he'd quite rightly had enough and gone and left. And um, I'd lost my job at that point uh, and then I couldn't afford to live in the flat I was in. So I ended up moving in with my mum and my mum likes to drink. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I ended up just drinking there um, pretty much around the clock, to be honest. I had no job. Mm. I was using, I was drinking every day. I always said that I was never a morning drinker, but I um, I just used to stay in bed until 4 a.m. at 4 p.m. and then get up and drink. Yeah, so but it was just on a different time scale. It was scale. just on a different time scale, yeah. And it got to the point where I ended up getting seriously ill and um, I started to, to not really not be okay. I started seeing things that weren't there. I started getting the shakes. I, I needed a drink to feel normal. Mm. Um, I started to, I was just sweat at night and I was just really, really unwell. Mm. I looked really ill. I felt like I was dying inside. I just couldn't ignore it anymore. Mm. And How old were you at this point? I was 29 at this point. And so it I felt really quickly. Yeah, it really took off in lockdown. Um, I think I probably did about three years worth of my drinking in one year. Mm. So my body just couldn't take it anymore. And I was suicidally depressed. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I just, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. It was Mm. the worst, worst time of my life. It was absolutely horrendous. Um, And for years I've, I've suffered with depression, which is obviously made worse by alcohol. Um, And for all these years, you know, I've sort of saying to people, I wish I was dead and, you know, awful things like that. And when I rang the doctors and told them what I was doing and what was happening and they told me, you know, if you don't stop, you will die. And when I was actually faced with it, I thought, I don't want to die. Yeah. And that's when I actually, yeah, I reached out for help and I was like, I need to do something about this because I just knew if I didn't, then something really bad was going to happen. So I ended up ringing um, the doctor and they put me on CGL, Change, Grow, Live. Yeah. Amazing place um and they got me into the detox at smithfield in town and that was the start of it really um but when i stopped drinking i didn't really want to stop drinking i just wanted all the bad things to go away 
I just wanted all the horrible stuff to stop happening. I just wanted to stop feeling the way I was feeling. And I'd never really sort of thought of myself as an alcoholic as well, because, and a lot of people say this and you sort of see an alcoholic as, you know, like a man in the, in the park with a, you know, with a a brown paper bag or, you know, someone that's, you know, a a full blown drug addict, you know, people that have been in prison or people that live on the streets and there's addicts and alcoholics literally everywhere. Everywhere. They look like normal people because they are normal people. It's so inappropriate, isn't it? Yeah. The perception and I get that it's a perception that's been driven by society, but people's go to, and, you know, maybe we shouldn't generalize so much, but a go-to perception of an addict is mm. that homeless person in the street is a down and out is someone that is like less credible or yeah. has got some sort of character flaw but yeah. alcoholism or addiction isn't a character flaw I know. it's something that happens to people and yeah it's sort of seen as if it's like it's something that's wrong with you yeah and it it's not it's an illness it's something that happens to you it's not yeah. I, I no one wakes up one day and thinks you know i really want to be a drug addict or yeah exactly. i really want to you know be an alcoholic but um yeah that's what happened and i um yeah then came out of detox and i felt amazing uh, I remember the day I was leaving and I came out and there's like this sort of garden outside and it was a bit, I think it had snowed a bit um, and it was like a really sunny day and and I felt like doing cartwheels across the lawn and I'd not felt like that for years and amazing. my head felt so clear and I just felt amazing and I got home and um, that's when the real hard work started. Mm. It's it's not easy to get sober, but it's the hard. They did keep saying the hard work does start when you get back, and it's you have to stay to, sober. It's easy to stop drinking, so to speak. Mm. The hard work is staying stocked. Staying stocked. Yeah. yeah. Just for people listening who might not know, what is detox? Detox is um, a place you go when you have when you're addicted to alcohol mainly, and um, there were some people in there that were coming off like methadone, and basically it's a medical medical detox where you need to be sort of weaned off something because yeah. if you are drinking copious amounts of alcohol and you're physically dependent on it, if you just stop, you could have a seizure and you could die. So. Um, they put me on Librium, which is like a benzodiazepine. It's a bit like Valium. Yeah. Um, they put me on that. Um, and obviously loads of water. I had these um, injections in my bum cheeks <laughs> nice. with loads of vitamins in, but they sold it to me. Apparently, um, Kate Moss pays loads of money for them. So oh, well, I was like, go. well, yeah. Come on, vitamins. Yeah, here you go. I'll take that. Um, yeah, so... How does it feel talking about that stuff now? Like, Because it's quite... You know, I know about your experience and yeah. I know what detox is, but when you think about it, that's like shocking, right? Yeah. Um, having to go through that experience just to be yeah. able to, to stop drinking. How, how does it make you feel when you talk about it? I think it was necessary. I think that I needed, because my drinking had become so drastic, I needed something drastic to, to get me to stop. Yeah. And I th- feel like because I'd gone in there and done that, it's not something I can't, I can't just start drinking again and then just knock on the door and say, oh, I'm back. Can, can you sort me out? It's something that you need to be on a waiting list for and you need to be really lucky to, to get on it. Like not, uh, not mm. everyone is as lucky as me and gets, mm. gets in there. And I think because of that, 
it was that was just sort of and the place at the actual place is called turning point and it was a turning point in my life when I went in there I walked in there a complete mess and I walked out optimistic and mm. and quite you know excited about what was what was going to happen and yeah it wasn't easy though so it was it was in lockdown as well so I was quite lucky in the respect that there was no pubs open there was no one going out true but at the weekend I would sort of you know get a bit itchy and think you know it's it's prime drinking time and it's just these sort of habits that are in your head I don't get the Friday feeling anymore but you know the Friday feeling that we used to get yeah I'd get that and um I think it was do you remember as well because we were in treatment at the same time. Yeah. So we started in March and it's for 12 weeks, isn't it? So it was yeah. March, um, April, May. And it was just starting to get, like the days were getting longer. It was starting to get quite sunny and quite warm. And yeah, it's all of those things, isn't it? Like yeah. I remember we used to talk about this, but I just couldn't imagine a sunny day and not getting drunk. No. I just could not comprehend it. And I'd have to... I remember when like walking to treatment, if it was a sunny day, I'd have to walk away where I knew there wouldn't be people sat around in the sun, like enjoying the weather and sat outside just having a beer or two because I just could not face it. it it's like the Friday feeling, the weekends, when yeah. it's sunny, when you go on holiday, there are all of these things that are like triggers to put you off. Yeah. Even though it's so damaging to your health, what you're doing. Yeah. For us it was and for our experience it was. There's that, but then there's also if something bad happens or if it's raining or, you any know, excuse, any, excuse, any excuse. Any yeah. excuse. Yeah. yeah. I missed the bus. I need a drink. Yeah. Missed my train. Yeah. I got fired because <laughs> I was drunk. I'll have a drink. I mean, getting fired is quite a big one. I know, but yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Then, we did uh we did our 12 weeks in treatment yeah yeah we explored a lot of stuff and um you actually introduced me to the fellowship so um I was a little bit not keen and um but I'd seen that you were going and you were going quite regularly and yeah you talked about a young person's meeting and yeah yeah, I guess I had full circle actually I was talking about a perception of an alcoholic I had a perception that in the AA fellowship, it would be lots of people that look like that homeless person on the street. Yeah, so did I. And then you go into meetings and the young person meeting, you're surrounded by people in their late teens and in their early twenties that are already at a point where they're saying, this isn't working for me. Yeah, You go to meetings and you meet doctors, lawyers, people from every profession, you know, they walk amongst us kind of thing, don't they? And I think there's something really liberating in that. Um, Even when, you know, at the time I knew that I was one of those people, but I still had some of those perceptions myself. Yeah, definitely. And when I went to, so it's AA we're talking about, um, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Yeah, so I went to this young person's meeting. It was one of the first ones I ever went to. And I just felt such a feeling of relief and it was just amazing to see people my age and younger than me that were like me. Mm. And I had this um, sort of, you know, terminal uniqueness, isn't it? It's called where you think you're the only one that's ever felt a certain way. You think you're special, basically. Yeah. And I thought that I was the youngest person to ever get sober. And 
this is such a shame. I've got all these years of drinking left in me. And it's just really funny. In the funny. whole world. Yeah, in the whole world. I'm the, the youngest person to ever stop. And, and then you get there and, you know, and you're just like, actually, I'm not on my own. And, yeah. and it's nice there because you can talk about sort of topics that are more related, you know, more centered around younger people. You know, sometimes like sex comes up or partying or mm. drug taking because in some AA meetings, they don't really like to talk about drugs. It just depends. Mm on which meeting you're going to but AA completely saved me if I'm honest mm. I think if I hadn't started going to AA after I got out of detox I I wouldn't be sat here now talking to you mm. I wouldn't have met you mm. um, and all these amazing things that have happened to me mm. wouldn't have happened so it's just so incredible to be sat in a room full of people that understand you and they're saying things that you've been thinking in your head for years and you think you're the only person that's ever felt like that. Mm. And then you're sat in a room full of people that are all, they all just get it. Mm. And I'd never met anyone that had got sober before. I didn't even know it was possible. And then there was people in meetings that were 20, 30 years sober. And I just thought at first I, I kind of didn't believe them. And, and also they were all really happy mm. and they were all really happy and they, they were enjoying life. And, they all look really healthy and I thought I want what these people have got yeah so that's what I did because when I got out of detox I was just so terrified of going back to to how I was that I just completely threw myself into the fellowship and I started going every day and it was it was a bit of a blessing that I I had lost my job because I could go every day then yeah so I went every night I think I did um three months I went every single day that's amazing every day sometimes twice and when you say you know, you sound quite surprised when you say that people with long-term sobriety were happy. So yeah. like fellowship or not, like just being a sober person, was your perception that a sober life just couldn't be a happy life? Yeah, that it was boring. You know, there's the the, the phrase stone cold sober, you yeah. know, it's not a, a warm, you know, it seems like something quite icy yeah, and, yeah. and uninviting and something you wouldn't want to do you know yeah and yeah I the just word thought itself, sober, sober yeah. yeah as you're sobering you know as, as a verb it's yeah. like yeah you know so yeah I just thought that I just couldn't because I hadn't ever had a life outside of addiction I just couldn't see what it would look like and I thought I wouldn't be able to go out I thought that people wouldn't like me I thought that I would be boring. My life would be boring. I'd have nothing to do. Mm. I would just sort of be sat clinging on. And I also thought that I would be struggling every day because I had tried to stop drinking before. There'd been periods over the years where I tried to stop and obviously it lasted two weeks at most. And then I was back on it again. And, mm. and I thought there's no way that I will ever be able to stay sober and, and, not, and it not be, you know, be white knuckling it and, and mm. struggling every day. And and that was the amazing thing when I went to start going to meetings and people were saying that they didn't crave alcohol and they didn't, you know, they didn't want or need a drink. And mm. it just blew my mind because mm. I just didn't ever think that was possible. I just thought that that was the way I was. And I thought I was going to die being like that or couldn't I, just, ever change. It, I couldn't ever change. Yeah, there was yeah. no way out. And, and there is, which is the good news for yeah. anyone that's struggling. There is a way out. And, and it sounds like, like you said there, that, because you'd never known anything else yeah. from such a young age, you had been drinking on a daily basis mm. and going out partying. There's that, there's that identity thing, isn't there? Like, yeah. 
when you get sober, what am I into? Like, yeah. what interests me? What are my hobbies? Like, the word hobby just didn't exist for me. My hobby was getting wasted. Yeah. That's what I like doing. Exactly. So then it's, I definitely, I don't know about you, but I definitely had a fear of, yeah, life being boring, yeah. losing all my friends. I yeah. wouldn't have any friends. I definitely wouldn't have any friends in the gay community because all gay people drink and use drugs like I did yeah. do. And that's not me generalizing. That was just based on my experience yeah. with that element of the community. And it's like, oh my God, what do I, I don't know what I like. I don't know what I'm interested yeah, in. Yeah, I had a total identity crisis, mm. totally. I didn't even know if I liked music anymore. Mm. I, I was just, I didn't know what yeah what clothes I wanted to wear what music I liked what the friends I had did I even want to be friends with them anymore you know I just didn't know anything about myself at all because my whole identity was built on me being drunk basically and yeah. and and everything that came with that so it was it was pretty terrifying to be honest yeah. um but then you start to learn things about yourself which is just so incredible and I'm still on that journey now and um, I've just started therapy actually a couple of weeks ago and just, you know, getting, getting, digging down a bit more and learning more about myself. And because I feel like alcohol stunts your emotional and mental growth as well. Mm. So if you start drinking at a young age, you don't ever really mature emotionally. You don't really get to know the, the person that you are because mm. you've got this drug that's just blocking everything off and mm. stopping you from mm. growing as a person. And so well, like we were saying about responsibility and all those things oh, yeah, like yeah. throw caution to the wind yeah if you're doing that um maybe at a time when other people that are younger are not doing what we did and living a different life that we're missing out on that emotional maturity yeah. like you say we're missing out on um taking responsibility for things like yeah I've definitely always felt like because I've got sober a bit later that I've been my responsibility is like a decade behind where it should be and mm. sometimes I fall into a trap of comparison because I'm like oh I've not you know I'm in my late 30s and I've not bought a house yet and I've not done this and I've not done that and yeah that's all accurate and there's no time frame right you don't have to do anything by a certain age I don't no. agree with any of that philosophy or thinking but I definitely probably would have done some of that stuff sooner yeah. Had I had a bit more emotional maturity and taken a bit more responsibility in life. Yeah, I do agree with that. And I often, you know, I try not to do it so much now, but in early yeah. sobriety, you spend a lot of time beating yeah. yourself with a big stick saying, oh, could have done this and I could have done that. But the important thing is to remember that all of that stuff needed to happen to us for us to get to where we are today. Yeah. So it's just a part of our journey and everyone's journey is different and people take you know, different times to do different things. And I think the amazing thing is that we are sat here and we are both sober and, yeah. and we are both on a path that feels right because for years I just knew I wasn't on the right path. Yeah, I just knew that something was seriously not okay. And now I feel like I'm on the right path. I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. And it's just such a good feeling to, you know, amazing. be able to put my head on the pillow at night and not hate myself and and be quite excited about, you know what's next about life about what's <laughs> next hey you did it yeah um so how did you how did you figure that stuff out then where does if someone's held back by that and if someone's worried about what do I do like drinking is my thing that's all I do yeah what is my identity like 
what steps do you take? How do you find out what you're interested in? What have you done? Well, I, I'm not so well, the fellowship isn't for everyone, but I sort of went there and I spent a lot of time trying to get better first. You can't just get sober and then just go and join a load of clubs and try and you, you have to take it all at your own pace, really. Um, I did spend a lot of time just learning to just be all right in my own skin. I think that's a really important part of it really is to, because you're building your confidence back completely from scratch. I had mm. no confidence. My, You know, I'm still getting there now. I'm not, you know, I haven't got the most confidence in the world at the moment, but because it was all like chemical fake confidence before. Mm. So it takes a bit of time for you to get your confidence back and then start slowly to do things. But I did realize that I, I don't dislike music, like quite the opposite. I absolutely love music. And that's probably what drew me to that sort of scene in the first place. Yeah. Even though it obviously was good that alcohol was a big part of that. But um, I just, because I had a lot more money as well. And that's the other great thing about getting sober yeah. is you have so much more money, Preach. so much more. And I ended up paying off a load of debt that I was in. And I started to buy records. So I've been wanting to be a vinyl DJ for quite a long time. So I actually had the money to be able to buy records. And then I bought a new mixer and I bought new headphones. And, Amazing. you know, that's something that I'd spend. And I have the time now to invest, to sit and, and dig for records and have the patience to do that kind of stuff because I can enjoy my own company and being on my own. Whereas before I, I just couldn't bear to be with in my own head for five minutes. I just had to smoke a spliff or mm. drink a beer or whatever. Yeah, that's so, like time and money. They're time and such money. massive benefits, right? Yeah. Like booze is expensive. S especially now. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then the time that you spend just drinking at the pub yeah. or doing or what recovering you're doing, or it's a double whammy you get both of those things back yeah and, um yeah so and you can invest them into other things like that yeah it's amazing. so there's that and then um what else have i been doing start i did yoga a bit before but i started doing that a lot more because of the time and money again um and then i moved into um a house share and my housemates really into roller skating and I actually bought some skates when I got sober. I went on them once, fell on my ass, didn't go on them again <laughs> for two years. I thought, no thanks. And then anyway, my housemate um, got me back into it, got back on, put my skates on, got back into it. Get your skates and on. And I absolutely love it. I go every week now, at least once a week. Um, I'm learning how to do spins and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I've just got into roller skating and I'm thir 31. Yeah. Like, I love that. Yeah. You I know, and that. it's never too, and it's made me realize that it's never too late to start anything. And I, th you know, I thought that I'd never be able to do so many things because I just couldn't even cope with day-to-day -day life. Like paying the bills and eating was like a massive uphill struggle for me. Mm. So having all the, all the other things taken care of like the basic things in your life taken care of like looking after yourself sleeping well then give freeze up your time and your energy to actually pursue these other things that you've mm. always wanted to do mm. so yeah it's just and amazing things that like require a lot of confidence right yeah you know going roller skating and earlier you were saying that you didn't have much confidence and you needed to have a drink in so yeah. social situations to be more confident and now you do all of that stuff yeah. completely sober yeah. and just feeling good in yourself and feeling happy with yourself. Yeah. And that's also been a great way for me to build my confidence as well, because the first time I went, 
there's quite a few people there that are really good and I, I was scared to even put them on a stand up. <laughs> so even just going there and doing that and each time I go, I get a bit more confident yeah. and then I learn something new and it's just all baby steps with everything really. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing I've done is uh, recently I've started going to ballet lessons again. Nice. So I danced when I was younger from when I was about four till I was about 14, 15. Yeah. And that was another thing in addiction. I always used to sort of kick myself for stopping because I kind of stopped so that I could go out and drink with my friends. You know, it wasn't really cool anymore. And and then in later life, I've just sort of thought, oh, it's such a shame that I stopped. So yeah, yeah after New Year's resolution, went and started doing that again. And, you know, it's that's another confidence thing as well to just be able to go and do that. It's just yeah. all these sort of little steps you take and each day that you're sober, you just get more and more confident and more, things just start to slot into place and you're like oh actually I might give that a go or I might try that whereas you would never have even considered doing it before because you had no energy or attention span or will to do anything apart from just drink and ruin your life yeah so totally it's amazing I think you've been on such an incredible journey and you know we met in treatment and we were pretty sad right I remember um us being sat in therapy and having some pretty deep conversations and having to expose some pretty deep Mm. and personal stuff that we were carrying with us um with shame attached to that and um yeah lots of unpleasantness and to sit here now and just listen to you talking so passionately (laughs) about your life and what you're interested in and You've not even mentioned your job, like oh yeah, my job. You've got your dream job as a result of being sober, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So when I was at uni, um, obviously there were technicians there, and I thought, oh, I'd love to do that one day. And now I am a technician, a fashion fashion technician. So I help on the fashion courses, um, make like doing sewing, and it's a lot more to it than just doing sewing, but. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's as a result of me being sober. I would never have. I spent about six weeks writing my cover letter for that interview. So, you know, I would never have had the patience to do that. I would. And even if I had managed to get the job by some miracle, I would have been there about two weeks. They would have seen what I was like and probably got rid of me. So, you know, there's that. And now I've got career aspirations. I want to go back and study again. Um, I would quite like to become an academic because mm. I'm in the university environment now and I'm mm. just like, oh, actually, that kind of looks nice. I want to be able to do that where, you know, that's something that I would never have dreamed that I'd be able to to do, mm. you know. So it's just incredible. And um, yeah, I'd highly recommend, recommend it. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Getting sober. So as someone that got sober in their 20s, which, you know, maybe... Late twenties, very, very late twenties. Yeah, yeah, close to thirty actually. Yeah. Um, but it's still quite young, right? And yeah. um, there probably are younger people out there that maybe are questioning their relationship with yeah. alcohol or drugs, but are held back by some of that fear of um just not wanting to do it. Yeah. Like, is there advice that you would give, or what would you say to your former self? Um, don't be afraid and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be the best thing you've ever done because it really is. Sometimes I have to pinch myself. I can't actually believe mm. how I've turned it around mm. because I just can't describe how 
how shit I felt and how I just thought everything was over. I thought my life was completely over. Mm. I genuinely thought I'm going to die like this mm. or I'm just going to live this miserable, strung out existence. And and now I'm I'm just so much happier. But it's not just that. There's just so many benefits to it as well and then you start to experience things in different ways and and being able to experience things in a really genuine way and and know that you're actually enjoying something so i can't go out now if i don't enjoy the music i'll just leave i just can't like tolerate it yeah and i think i can't remember i saw it written down but it said somewhere alcohol doesn't help you to have fun it helps you to tolerate people and things that you don't really like oh my god and i was just like oh and it does it helps even people that don't that aren't necessarily addicted do some people do use alcohol in ways just to cope with life or just to get them through the day or you know because they've had a stressful day at work or to help them maybe go on a date and be able to talk to somebody like i can go on dates now and just be completely sober and Mm. just try and get to know someone and I, and I, it's just such a more authentic way to live i find that i think it's easier with dating because when you're dating when you're drinking for me anyway yeah like i would i would be way more likely to be interested with and engage in someone that really i wasn't interested in but you know mm. the beer goggles come on yeah definitely it's like yeah fine wake up the next day you'll do you in bed <laughs> kind of thing and Whereas now, like, there's a confidence in going on a date, having a clear mind and being like, yes, no, this is working for me. This isn't yeah. working for me. It, it's, yeah, it gives you that consciousness back, doesn't it? It's so powerful. Yeah, it does. And now I'm, like, super picky and I don't fancy anybody <laughs> anymore. <laughs> She's got standards. I've got standards. It's too high now. They were, too, they were the opposite way. They were just, like, non-existent and now yeah, they're just so Yeah, now you've high. got really high standards. But, you know, I, I'm all right. And it's the first time in my life I've been happy on my own and I've been happy just in my own skin and and I because I never used to enjoy my own company it's nice now I enjoy enjoying it and yeah I'm sort of making up for lost time a bit I am a bit of a loner to be honest I do spend a lot of time in my room playing music and producing music that's another thing I've started doing recently as well god you're busy I am you? busy you've got a lot on I have it's, it's great though um, I tell you what I love um the fact that because I think we're both like into similar music and mm-hmm. you know we like going out clubbing we like house music uh, electronic music etc mm-hmm. etc and um that was a big that was something that I think really held me back for a long time and when I say held me back I mean it was something that got in the way of me getting sober mm-hmm. because even though I used to go out and get wasted I just love dancing so much and I just love that music so much and mm. you know I could go dance and dance and dance and dance but I thought when I got sober I wouldn't be able to do that or I'd feel awkward or I'd feel uncomfortable and yeah you know on New Year's Eve you and I went out oh, and we danced the night away we danced didn't we? the night away and we yeah. stayed out all night and it was incredible and yeah. don't get me wrong like the first couple of times that I did that, I did feel a bit weird. Like it's not gonna, yeah. you're not just gonna go out and suddenly be liberated and free and have this like huge romanticized moment. It takes a little bit of getting used to. But again, you get to a point where, I don't know about you, but I just felt so empowered to be able yeah. to dance how I want to dance. I know that 
I'm not under the influence doing that. I'm yeah. just there enjoying myself for the music and for the atmosphere and for the people. Yeah, you're, you're there enjoying it and, and genuinely enjoying it. Mm. And yeah, I've had a few moments where I've been out and I've been to like a gig of someone I've really liked or like I was in Berlin um, in the summer, I went out in Berlin and, and I'd been to Berlin before that about five or six times, obviously off my tits. And I never <laughs> thought that I would be able to go to, you know, listen to techno in Berlin. And I just had this like euphoric moment at about 4am being like, I'm completely sober in this club. Amazing. Like, this is amazing. And I was just having such a good time. And there's been quite a few times where you, sounds a bit cheesy but you, you get like this sort of sense of euphoria and you're just having yeah. because you're just having such a good time yeah i've had that a few times and i just never thought that would ever be possible yeah and, it's incredible you know, it is it's amazing and i think when you were saying about um things stopping you from getting sober i think before lockdown because i had a job and i had a flat and i was seeing some uh, going out with someone I kind of on the surface my life was okay like you know my life wasn't falling apart I wasn't your textbook addict mm. in inverted commas in, in inverted commas you know my life was kind of on the surface okay and I just wanted to touch on um the fact you know that a lot of people can be addicts but they're very high functioning and because your life is kind of going all right it's a lot harder to spot and it's a lot harder to sort of mm. maybe want to stop. And I think that's what kept me in, in addiction for a long time. And it was until all those things got taken away from me mm. through lockdown and through my drinking as well that I then got sober. So mm. me losing everything really was the, the best thing that could have ever happened to me. It absolutely, you know, kickstarted this whole thing. Mm. So if anyone sort of, struggling or starting to question their drinking or their using i think people that don't have a problem with it don't question it yeah you know yeah. so and the thing is that i just want to like express is that your life is definitely not over and you know if you are an addict or an alcoholic and you carry on i can guarantee you your life will get worse but if you stop and you get sober i can guarantee you that your life will get better one hundred percent. So powerful. So, yeah. Thank you. It's okay. So Mary, what next for you? What's next? So just carry on doing what I'm doing. Um, I want to travel, saving for a house. Nice. Um, yeah, I want to do a masters. Just, just all the things. Just you know, it, it's nice that I've got things to look forward to and goals and aspirations now because I didn't have any of that before. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you You're for welcome. being brave and being really vulnerable. I hope that I'm certain lots of people will take something from your story. Um, yeah, thank you, Mary. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you got something from it. What Next is recorded at Stave Studios, which is at Stave underscore studio on Insta. If you want to get in touch with me through Insta, it's at whatnext.podcast or you can email me at carl at whatnextpodcast.co.uk. For new episodes, subscribe on all the main podcast platforms. I'd love it if you can also leave us a review as this will help us to reach more people. Remember, if you're thinking of quitting or have recently quit, you're not alone. So keep listening for what's next.